Coming on that last bend of 2 Timothy, we're in the final uh, chapter, just two more uh, sermons after today that we'll preach uh, from this uh, sweet letter to uh, Timothy. This is the word of God, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 this morning. I charge you in the presence of God and in, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfillment of your ministry. May we be blessed by the reading of God's Word this morning. Well, here we are in the last chapter. Uh, Joshua, if you did not have an opportunity to hear Brother Joshua last week, uh, he preached a very powerful message on probably the most famous verse in this text, in this letter, that uh, verse is uh, out of the third chapter, verse 16 and 17, where Paul is writing to Timothy and says this, and this is, we all know this to be true. But now Paul today, in his word, is going to go back to that to build upon what he had just said. But these are the words that he said in First Second Tim- Timothy chapter 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. And so this is what the foundation is this, that we must believe that every single word in this Bible is true. Like there's not one thing that's missed or there's not one thing that ought to be added to it. This is the complete work of God. God himself breathed this out, yes, It came through the pen of a man, but it was inspired by God. And so there's nothing lacking in here. And so many people have wanted to take out from God's word or put into God's word. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. All that is in God's word is all from God. And now he's going to say to us this morning in this text, people don't like that. People don't like God's word. And he's saying to Timothy, don't be surprised that people don't like God's word. Don't let that be a surprise to you. But he's going to say to us this morning, here's the reason for the completion of God's word. Now I want you to know this. These are the last words that Paul will ever write. He's on the the, the last hours of his life sitting, waiting and knowing, because he's going to tell us next week, I know I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. He's speaking metaphorically about his execution. He is in a prison cell knowing he's about to die for the very thing he's been preaching. So now he's at the very last words that he's ever going to write to anybody. And this is what he says. I want to charge you, Timothy. I want to give you this last command. So think of all, again, all the things that Paul could have ended with. 
He could have circled back and wrote again about what he wrote. The most theologically rich words in Romans. He could have gone to any other place that he had written and rewrote what he had already written. And that would have been inspired by God. But this is what God inspired Paul to say to Timothy right before he's about to die. And he says this in verse 1. I charge you or I command you. And in, in the Greek, it's this pleading with Timothy. It's this angst in his heart that he knows that what's about to come to him. And he's saying to Timothy, please hear this. And not just hear this, but do something about what you're about to hear. And then he goes into the text. And in the text this morning, we'll see, we'll see really three things. What is happening? Why it's happening? And what we're to do about it? So here's what is happening. This is the charge that he gives. Now listen to the charge in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. So the first charge he's saying to, to Timothy is, hey, you got to know that there's God the Father and God the Son, and they are coming to judge. So this plea is out of a plea of knowing the judgment that's about to happen to people. And now we can think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. But Paul and we today, we don't know when God's coming back. But he's saying every one of us will give a direct account for what we do with this. So every one of us, both believer and unbeliever, are going to fall under the judgment of God's holy word. Because God is coming to judge the living and the dead. And now he's going to say to us, because God's judgment is coming, this is what you, the believer, ought to be ready to do. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to this text is this. Do you believe that God is coming to judge the living and the dead? Both the believer and the unbeliever. If you're the believer, you're the living. If you're the dead, you're the unbeliever. So all of us in this room will give an account for everything that we've ever done. And what God is going to hold us to is this standard. Not your standard, not my standard. Because if I hold myself to this standard, I get in. If you hold yourself to your standard, you get in. That's not the standard. The standard is this. And so he had just told us all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable to you. And the prophet is about what is going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. None of us in this room will be able to get outside of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, those who are believers, the, the, the punishment for that sin has been taken care of. But you and I, it says throughout God's word, you still have to give an account for all that you've ever done. Now, thank God for Jesus. The washing of our blood, that though there is now judgment, there's now no condemnation with that judgment. See, an unbeliever, they'll face the judgment of Christ, but they'll also face the condemnation of Christ. But Paul said earlier in his writings, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's still judgment. There's still a place that we must 
give an account for what we've done. And so Paul is saying, just know this, that he is coming to judge the living and the dead, and he will appear, he's coming back. We believe that this morning. He will return. That is a promise he made. So he will return, and when he returns, that's when the judgment comes. That's when the account, we must pay the account, and his kingdom will be established. So Paul is saying, this is not the kingdom that he has. We know that from Matthew chapter 5. There is a kingdom that he's going to establish. He's going to establish that when he comes back. And who's going to live in that kingdom? The ones that are no longer under condemnation, but under judgment, but under the blood of Christ. Those who he will usher in his kingdom that way. And now he says this to us. So what are we, the believer, to do with Christ coming and returning? So he's now going to say, hey, because there's a judgment coming, because Christ is returning, you, the believer, need to do something. Now, it's really easy for you, not for me, to come to this text and be like, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to the preacher. But we got to extrapolate, yes, he is primarily talking to Timothy, who is the preacher, the pastor in Ephesus, but we know this to be true about God. When God presents God's word, it's for all of his people. So though, yes, it's primarily for the pastor. So I can come and I have to come to this text and say to myself, me, the preacher, the pastor, what does that mean for me? But that does not give you a pass as you sit in the pew to hear this. So what is it for us, the believer, the church, what are we to do with Christ's return? And he says this, he gives these five things that we must do. He says this, the first is this, preach the word. Now that's where most people come to the text and they're like, I'm not a preacher. The ladies get off scot-free, they're like, I'm not allowed to be a preacher. But that's not what he's talking about. The word preach in the text means this, it means to herald. It's this idea, if you've ever seen the play with Tennyson and I and Jenny and Cedar went to see the play Hamilton. Anyone ever seen Hamilton? It's an amazing play. It's great. But there's this scene in Hamilton where the messenger comes out and has a message from the king. And he sits up on the podium and he reads this message. Now those are not his words. A messenger or one that heralds, has been given permission and authority from the king to speak only what the king says to speak. And if that messenger doesn't speak exactly what the king tells him to speak, you know what happens to the messenger? Bye-bye. That's a great offense. And so we are to herald God's what? Word. So we, all of God's people, every one of us in this room, if you are a child of God, you must herald God's word, which means this, you better know God's word. You better know God's word. You've been called by God, you've been commissioned by God to go preach God's word. Now, how many people are being heralded by God, but they're not preaching God's word? So the first thing that you and I have to come to and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, am I really preaching God's word or am I preaching my words? Because I can promise you this. I can say things from the pulpit that sound really good, 
But unless you go check them out for yourself, you won't know if they're true or not. Don't ever take my words for the truth unless you take it and bounce it off of God's word. And I promise this, if there's ever anything that I say in this pulpit that you come back and say, that's not in God's word, let's have a conversation. But I promise that's why I put hours and hours and hours and hours to knowing and studying God's word. Paul says it the best, I come to you with much fear and trembling. Like I come to this pulpit every Sunday with much fear and trembling because I do not want your faith to rest on my words, but I want your faith to be resting in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. But you and I are all called to preach and herald God's word. So wherever that you are going, are you preaching God's word? Now, I don't mean you're getting up on a pulpit and preaching God's word, but does your life preach God's word? Does everything about your life, when you leave this building, go out to a lost world preaching God's word? That somebody could say, man, that looks like Christ. You ever been with someone, Roger, I wish Roger was here because I'd pick on Roger. But when I'm with Roger, there's something that sticks out to me about him. That man has spent hours and hours and hours and hours with an intimate relationship with Jesus. He doesn't even have to open his mouth. But when I get around him, I'm like, man, I feel the presence of God on this man. You ever been around people like that? Bruce Short was another one of those dudes. When I first got here, Larry was another one of those men, older, godly men. I got around. I'm like, man, they spend time with the Lord. Would that be true of me? Is that true of you? Are we preaching God's word to all of God's people? through our words, through our deeds, through our actions, through what's happening in us. So that's the first thing he says. Preach God's word. Herald his message. He doesn't stop there, though. He says this. One preacher said this. Uh, he, he talked about, um, he's like, I only preach two times. This is what one old uh, writer says. I only preach two times. He says, I preach in season and I preach out of season. Therefore, I always preach. But that's what he says. That's what Paul says next. Hey, with your preaching, be ready for it and don't be ready for it. Be ready in season and out of season. See, in the pulpit, I better be in season. But I also, when I'm out of season or out of the pulpit, my life must reflect the same as it is in this pulpit as it is out of this pulpit. Think of it in this way. What Paul is saying is think of the first responders. Think of if you've been in the military. Again, we have a first responder, Kevin, in our audience. He's done so many hours of preparing for when disaster happens that he's ready in season and out of season. It's not like he gets a call and he's like, man, I got to get ready. My man is ready. He, he's quick on the draw. Like Alex and anyone that served in our military, they are ready in season and out of season. When they get the call, they're just as ready as when they, before they got the call. Think of it that way. So are you and I, are we always preparing ourselves in season and out of season? Again, one of my closest friends played 
uh, baseball, for the Boston Red Sox. Now, this is what athletes say. The hardest thing to do in any athletics is to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. So what does he do? He, he has 100 and some games during the year that he's always ready to hit a fastball. But you know what he's doing on the offseason? Getting ready to hit the fastball. And if you've talked to anybody that's played pro sports, even a few weeks out of preparation does not allow them to be ready within the next week to go back into the game. Like it takes them time to get acclimated back into the, the pressure and the speed of the game. So are we being and preparing ourselves in season and out of season to preach God's word? Which means this, am I getting up every day and spending time preparing myself with God's word? Because I do not know when that time will come when I'm called to preach God's word. I don't know if that lady behind the public's counter is going to ask me a question that's going to draw something out of me to teach her God's word. Here's one of the things. I, I love flying and I hate flying. Because you're stuck on a plane beside someone for hours. And most of the time I get on the plane, I'm like, if I just get my headphones on fast enough, no one will talk to me. But there's other times I get on the plane and it's like that place of the Holy Spirit, like don't put your headphones on. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but don't let them talk to me either. But I've got to be ready while I sit on that plane. If the person next to me asks me anything about God, I, bet to, I better be ready to give an answer to what they have. So we're preparing ourselves to preach God's word in season and out of season. And this is what he says. This is what it is for. He goes into three things, two negative and one positive. He says, this is what you are to be ready to do in your preaching. You are to be ready to reprove people, rebuke people, and exhort people or encourage people. So let's look at those three words really fast. The first is to re reprove. That simply means to ex be exposed to. So my life I ought to be able to get around people and the light of Christ ought to expose people to their sin. Is my life, when I get in the midst of unbelievers, reproving people? Again, if you've ever been around people, you're like, man, that dude is godly, and it is shining light onto my heart, and there's things in my life that I must change. So the first thing in our lives, are we, in our words and our deeds, reproving people, exposing people to sin? Why are we to expose them to sin? Because of what verse 1 said, the judgment of Christ is coming for that thing that needs to be exposed. Because that thing that they have hidden in their life that's not being exposed is the very thing that will keep them from having an internal relationship with Christ. Now an unbelieving world doesn't know that, they don't believe that, they don't get that. But we, the church, must go into a dark world bringing light into darkness to reprove the sinner, to bring exposure. Are we doing that? And then he says this, not only that, we're not just to bring the light, but then we are to bring a rebuke. That word rebuke means we are to bring correction. So yes, I expose what's being the sin. Now I help correct what's being sin. So they come to a place of repentance. 
just if I bring light into their life, but I don't give them opportunity to repent, the light, though being exposed, is not the thing that's going to get them to heaven. It's the forgiveness of their sin that's being exposed. So am I drawing out the place of conviction that will lead to repentance in the life of somebody else? Are we doing that in the church? And again, is your life and my life in a place that, man, the light of the gospel shines in the dark places, and then I'm calling people to correction and repentance on that? That is our call as God's people. We ought to always give an opportunity to draw people into a place of confession and repentance. Because why? The judgment of Christ is coming. And without that forgiveness of sin, they will spend eternity apart from Christ. And then the last thing he says this, not only are we to do that, but we must bring exhortation. The word exhort means this, we must also encourage one another. So if I see your intimacy with God, I see the light of the gospel in you, it is my job, it is your job that we would encourage that. Because the more you encourage something, what happens, you continue to draw it out of somebody. And the more you encourage someone, the more they're going to want to do it more. When I give encouragement to my children around things, what do you think they do? They want to keep doing it to receive the encouragement. And so are we doing that in the church? That is what Paul is saying to Timothy as the pastor in Ephesus. You must do these things, and the people of God must do these things. And he says this, but here's how you're going to do those things. He says this, you've got to be patient. We've got to be patient with people as we expose them to sin, and we've got to be patient with people as long as it takes them to come to repentance. Think about the patience of God in your life and in my life. How many times has God brought something into my heart that I did not confess, but he stayed patient with, with me until I got to that place of repentance and correction. How often, though, in my angst, I want to get someone from point A to point B in 30 seconds. And then I get frustrated when they don't do it whose way, my way. Well, my way and God's ways aren't the same ways, and therefore Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, be patient as you preach the gospel. Because if you're not patient, you'll come to demanding that people change. Thank God for God's patience with us. And then he says this, and not only that, he says, you must do it as you teach them. Now, we, we just know he just talked to us about teaching, but what the word means this, you must instruct them. The word instruct them has this, it has everything to do with not just teaching, but coming alongside of somebody. It's the idea of discipleship. That it's a, this is a relational thing, not just a preaching thing. So are we in relationship with people in such a way that my relationship with them, my relationship with God is bringing exposure to their sin, that I'm walking with them to continue to call them to a place of repentance as I patiently do that and not get frustrated? Are we in relationship? It has everything to do with discipleship. That's the very commandment that God gave us. Now I want you to go into the world and preach and teach them all that I've taught you to do the same way that I've done it with you. 
how did Jesus do it with his disciples in a relational way? He didn't just point the finger at them. Everywhere Jesus went, those disciples were surely to go. It was like Mary, I won't say the nursery rhyme, you know the nursery rhyme, but that was the idea. Like these sheep followed the shepherd everywhere he went. It was super relational. Is that true for us? And then he says, now this is the reason for all this. He now says to Timothy, here's how you're supposed to do it. Now here's the why you need to do it. Because without the why, it's like, what's the point? So in verse 3 and 4, he tells them the why. For the time is coming when people will, will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. He says, here's why. There's going to be people that what they want more than anything is to have their own desires and passions satisfied. And they're not going to want to hear the truth. That's why he just told them, though, I want you to be patient with them. There's going to be people that don't, don't really want to hear this truth. They're going to want to go out and find a truth that satisfies them. So they will not tolerate the truth. How many of us have seen people do that? If you tell them the truth, they're like, no, I don't like that one. And they'll go find it from a pulpit preaching something else that satisfies them. One preacher said this. I wouldn't say this. He said some of the most discouraging words that he ever hears on a Sunday morning is this. Great job. That was a great sermon. He's like, well, that was a wasted sermon. If it is a great sermon, it ought to bring you to correction. Every time that he said the most encouraging words, is, that is a difficult sermon to hear. One of the compliments I get from this is you guys, I got it this week. Uh, they sent out a meme this week of someone looking under their house, their, uh, their sofa, thinking I put like cameras in your house. I don't put cameras in your house because like I'm preaching right to them. I promise I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Like, I hope everything I'm saying has stepped on my feet and toes first. Like, I'm not here to step on your toes. I'm here that God would step on my toes first. And then stepping on my toes, I would just present to you what God has taught me. I'm a fallen, broken human. Yes, I get to preach God's word, but I'm no different than you. I'm a fallen man that has sin in my life that God's word has to continue to shine light on. And that is all I'm offering back to you. I'm like... This is how God has taught and done to me, so therefore he can do it to you. Because here's the deal, and I've been at churches this way. I know how to grow a big church. I know how to fill this whole building full of people. We could be packed out every Sunday. All I have to do is not preach this. All I have to do is crack a few jokes. All I have to do is be entertaining. All I have to do is make sure I don't offend you. And I promise, if I don't offend you, then you'll tell, then the, the people will just come to this place in the droves. How do you think Joel Osteen has 50,000 people? Because he's not telling the truth. He's telling what entertains them. And people want that. 
So we ought not to be surprised that Joel Osteen can fill stadium upon stadium upon stadium. Because it, Paul said it 2,000 years ago. People don't want to hear the truth. They'll wander off in the midst because they have itching ears to be itched. If you have an itch, what do you do? You scratch it. And there are pastors out there that will scratch the itch without ever telling you the truth. God have mercy on their soul one day when they give an account that they didn't preach this. See, I don't have to give the account to you what I preach. I'll have to stand before a holy God and give an account for every word that I've ever said in this pulpit. That's why I come with much fear and trembling. One story is this. And he's a, one of the most gifted Baptists we've ever had is Spurgeon. Spurgeon was one of the first mega pastors in England. So Spurgeon would always have young people come to his training. And he had a young pastor come to him. And he was talking to the young pastor. And the young pastor was discouraged. And so Spurgeon was having this conversation. And it came up that he only had a church of about 100 people. At that time, Spurgeon had 2,000 people, and they were sitting on the, the windowsill to hear Spurgeon preach. So this young pastor had all this discouragement that he wasn't growing a church the way that God had grown Spurgeon's church. So they're having that conversation, and Spurgeon looked at the young pastor and said this. He said, I only have 100 people. And he said, that will be more than enough to give an account for He said, I've got to give an account for all this. You've got to give an account for a hundred. The young pastor walked away encouraged, like, oh, man. Like, I'll have to give an account for every soul that's ever walked into this building. People are like, don't you want to grow the church? Yes, but, man, that terrifies me. Because every new person that comes and sits in a pew, I've got to give an account for that. I've got to give an account for every word that's fallen out of my mouth onto your ears and heart. And that ought to terrify all of us when we go back and we're to preach God's word. So he goes on to say it this way, they will wander off to miss. And now he circles back. So just know that, Timothy, people will have their ears itch and they will be satisfied without God's word. But he says this in his final words to Timothy, because the rest of it is about himself in verses six through eight and nine through uh, nine through 22 is just the last kind of um, personal instruction and final greetings. But this sentence, this verse is the last instructive verse that Paul will ever write. And look what he says. He says, now I want you to know this. This is how you are to do this. This is why you are to, to do what you do because of the judgment of Christ. As for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Four things he says to do and how to do this. The preaching of God's word. Be sober-minded. Now, I think when we hear the word sober, we think of alcohol. That's not what Timothy, Timothy is being told to do. Sober-minded is this. Keep your head on your shoulders. Keep a right mind about yourself. So he's saying, be sober-minded. How do we say sober-minded? 
by God's Word. God's Word keeps us sober. So keep your head about yourself, Timothy. And in keeping your head about yourself, I, I want you to do this. I, I want you to endure all the suffering. I promise this is what Tim, Timothy is being told. If you preach God's Word, there will be suffering. There will be suffering for our church if we preach God's Word. Because when we preach God's Word, the enemy is so angry at us. He had just said a few verses before, anyone that wants and desires to live a godly life will what? We will be persecuted. So he says, hey, endure the suffering. Just keep on. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit too soon. How many of us have seen people when suffering happens, they give up too soon? And that is what Paul is saying. Don't give up. I know it's hard, Timothy. What Timothy doesn't know, we know this in the book of Hebrews, Timothy is going to face in a few years persecution that almost kills him. And so Timothy's going to have to revert back to this passage when that suffering happens to remember, man, if Paul did it and he endured suffering, if Jesus did it, then I'm going to have to do it as well. You and I must endure suffering as we present God's word to lost people. Then he says next, do the work of an evangelist. That means all of us. Yes, there is a role of an evangelist, but all of us in this room are called to evangelize a lost world. All of us are to take the gospel message to lost people. Again, that doesn't mean you have to preach it. That doesn't mean you have to write a book about it. But your life and my life must give a, a demonstration to lost people that would draw them to Christ. We're all to do the work of an evangelist. And the last one, this is my way of application this morning. So that you can fulfill your ministry. Now here's the application for every one of us in this building if you're a believer. What is the ministry that God has uniquely called you to? I promise this. It is not simply to sit in a pew every Sunday morning. That is not the call in your life. If you are a Christ follower, God says this through the Apostle Paul, it is all of our job as the church to display the manifold wisdom of Christ, the church, to the world. So if you're a believer, you ought to look for ways in this building to serve God, to serve people, and to serve a lost world. That doesn't mean you have to teach a Sunday school. That might just simply be cleaning a bathroom. That might just simply seeing something land on the ground and you pick it up and throw it in the trash can. That might be you teaching a Sunday school class. But all of us are called by God and all of us have been giving a unique ministry for the body of Christ. We know that from what Paul said in Corinthians about the body of Christ. Some are toes, some are toenails. Some are arms, some are armpits. But all of us make up the body of Christ. And one of us is not fulfilling our ministry, then the body of Christ will not work properly. 
So what has God called all of us to so that all of us can fulfill the work of the ministry? Why? Because of what he told us in chapter 4, verse 1. Because the judgment of God is coming. And all of us are called by God to take that message to lost people. So all of us and all of our unique roles have to be looking to eradicate that in the world. God has uniquely called the church to go and save people. Yes, he used a donkey before, but that's not his primary of winning lost people to himself. His primary way of winning lost people to himself is the body of Christ. I promise it's not the preacher. Paul said it in Ephesians. It is my job to equip you, the saint, for the work of the ministry God's called you to. So I got to equip you to go do what God's called you to. So now in this passage, as he's saying to Timothy, hey, just fulfill what God put in you. Remember what he said to him in chapter one. By the laying of hands, there was something that was deposited in you. Deposited in you. The, the ministry was deposited in you. Now go do that. And for Timothy, it was to be a pastor in Ephesus. But for you, what has God uniquely called and gifted you to do? We know this. It is to be a preacher of God's word. That does not mean you ever have to preach from God's word. But you must herald God's word to lost people. Let us fulfill the ministry that God's uniquely called us all to. Let me pray for us this morning. God, all of us.